And um, this is my community. I want to talk a little bit today about patterns. Steve gave us a great setup there earlier. And uh, so patterns are incredibly important. You, you can claim you're a rebel and uh, claim that you give in to no pattern, but in fact, that would, in, that would be a sort of pattern itself. I remember years back years ago when we were getting started back in the 90s around here, and I was uh, visiting up at North Carolina School of the Arts with a, uh, a kid, a young guy, and uh, he was dressed, he, he, it, for those, I'll date myself, for those who know who Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor were, he was dressed from head to toe, all goth, all the time, all in black. And uh, he was insisting that he was not sold out. And I was like, just look at you. Uh, you're wearing a uniform. Uh, who bought that leather jacket, as beautiful as it is? Obviously, you didn't have the money. Of course, his father had bought it for him. He was following a pattern. Everybody, everything, we're all following patterns in our lives. And patterns are important because um, they lead us places. You know, if, if you're driving down the highway, not that I've ever uh, done this with any great regularity, my wife is uh, semi-terrified to drive with me. Uh, so she can tell you more about why that is. But I have a little bit of familiarity with uh, that edge of the highway where everything, you know, the sound of the car is a pattern. It's... And then there's the sound when you hit that serrated, grooved uh, concrete that goes... It's a new pattern. It's a pattern that tells you, you know, danger, Will Robinson. You should be terrified. Your husband doesn't know how to drive. Move back to the left. Patterns come in all sorts of things. If I say, bump, 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 yeah, you know the next note, right? Patterns create predictability. Patterns, um, patterns guide our hands, right? You, you, you can create a pair of pants, from a pattern, provided, you know, you have a sewing machine and some tools. It may not be a great pair of pants, but you can clothe yourselves. You can create a shed from a set of patterns. So patterns are incredibly important. Patterns matter. And Mary matters. Mary, the mother of Jesus, matters because her life is really this pattern that what true salvation is like. Now, lots of people in religious and Protestant circles have, have responded to past abuses of, who, uh, of, of worshiping Mary and have overreacted and have abandoned this opportunity to have the pattern of salvation that's found most fully in Mary, maybe more than in any other person that's recorded in the Bible. I don't think that the writers, of the, the biographers of Jesus wrote the stories of Mary into Scripture simply because they wanted to give you some tidy background information about Jesus. Instead, they include her story because her life is a pattern for ours. And if our life is going to flourish, if our, life is, our lives are going to find their way in salvation, then we will follow the pattern that's found in her life. And we're going to do that today. Look at that pattern by looking at really everything in her life from A to Z, from beginning to the last moments, uh, last story that's recorded about her. She's not mentioned a lot in the Bible. Uh, in some ways, it seems like she's not in there a lot, I would say, but she's in there enough. And, and so Mary matters. I want you to notice the first thing about Mary and that 
we've in a series where we're talking about about this long shadow. And the thing about Mary is that her life is completely overshadowed by Jesus. She's the mother of Jesus, like you're the father of your kid or the mother of your kid. People want to say, I'm so-and-so's mom, I'm so-and-so's dad. But can you imagine even more so to be the mother of the king of the universe? I mean, talk about an overshadowing, right? But different from us, instead of rebelling against being overshadowed, she embraces it. And so what the pattern of our life tells us is that the way of salvation is to be overshadowed and is to embrace that. The first thing that shows up in this overshadowing is that the first thing in the pattern is that there's this thing called unearned promise. And it moves from there through doubt, personal risk, reasoning or rationalizing, arguing, surrendering, remembering, miracle, joy, ordinariness, tragedy, adoption, and belonging. Bum, bum, bum. That is the rhythm, that is the pattern of salvation. And it stands, her story of being overshadowed and the way she allows herself to be overshadowed and experience this life of belonging and all those things is so different than it is for us. Because much of our training, much of the way we come at life has taught us to resist the shadows. We see shadows as things that must be outrun, something that must be overcome, something that must be denied, something we must increase our effort against, that we must be ambitious, we should try to control it. We must go on an adventure. We should be exceptional. We should self-preserve. We should have a big impact. We ought to do better by having better execution. Because a shadow is a slight. A a shadow is an insult. A shadow is a curse. And above all, a shadow is a sign of weakness. To be overshadowed means something is over the top of you. But Mary matters because the pattern of her life displays that God's help the pattern is that God's help doesn't come for those who help themselves. God's help comes for those who remain beneath his shadow. So we're going to start in the book of Luke. Who's, Luke was one of the biographers of Jesus. And we're going to read through a lot of her life here. Starting in Luke 1.26. starts this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth was one of her rel- Mary's relatives. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel... Gabriel to Nazareth, a town to Ga- a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Mary's salvation begins by showing us, first of all, who it is that God saves. If you miss this, this, this first part of the pattern, always comes first. So if this has not happened for you, or if you're resisting this, or if you're stuck in life, you always have to return to this first step in the pattern. And the first step in the pattern is this shows us who God comes for. And God comes, he actually God has this very irritating, I believe, and nagging habit of attaching his adoration and affection on those who are the least powerful, the weakest, and the least great. He always comes for the weak and the humble. The gospel is not that the good are in and the bad are out. I quote this all the time from Tim Keller. The gospel is not that the good are in and the bad are out. 
the gospel is that the humble are in and the proud are out. And it is hard to imagine a more weak and vulnerable and humble person than a teenage girl, not much older probably than my friends here, who was betrothed, living in Nazareth, and not yet married 2,000 years ago in Palestine. Salvation is always offered first to the least and offered an unearned promise. As long as we remain strong, as long as we remain proud, we have never really begun the pattern. And if you have success, then you must let it go. And a lot of difficulty in life comes when in our lives when we try to hold on to success and pretense and ego and we just can't find the way to be humble. And so salvation is always an unearned promise and it comes always to those who are humble. Great blessing comes to those who are not great. The prisoners, the sick, the immigrant, the slave, to women, to the lost, to the great blessing is for them first, for the Caesar, for the priest, for the religious, for the wise and the powerful. They'll have no salvation. They cannot see it. It cannot be fathomed. It cannot be experienced. It is the first and the most important step in the pattern that Mary's life shows us is that we must be humble. Under God's long shadow, though, comes in the pattern doubt. And not just random doubt. I think doubt about God himself comes. We truly doubt God's goodness and his character and what it is that he's doing in our lives and in the world or if he's doing anything at all. The text comes, continues from Luke. He says it this way about doubt. Mary was greatly troubled at the words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So doubt is often provoked by the impacts that God's promises could bring to our lives. Mary was troubled at God's words, and that is, um, that is a really uh, sanitized language, if you think about it. She was probably terrified. And that's why the angel needed to say, fear not. He was really telling her to fear not. Because to be a teenage, unwed, betrothed girl 2,000 years ago in dusty Palestine and to become pregnant in that moment, the best you could hope for would be an outcast. The best you would hope for would be thrown out of your family. To be ashamed to be something that nobody in your family would want to admit belonged to them. That's the best you could hope for. Within the realm of possibility was stoning. So when the angel says, fear not, he is speaking to this core doubt. And so it brings a question, I think, for us. If we say we have believed, if we say, have said that we are Jesus' followers, if you have said that you're in this pattern of salvation and you have not really feared it's unlikely that you have really followed the natural conclusion 
of the pattern out, that it comes with great risk. So the text continues. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So our whole series has led to this moment about being overshadowed. So the Holy One to be born, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, Mary does something here that we, uh, we do. We don't do well. And if we're very religious, we, not, we deny we do it. So what she does is she reasons, and she, she reasons with God, right? Having received this problem, having received this problem, which is a blessing, right? This promise. Having doubted, instead of remaining in her doubt and thinking, oh, well, good people don't doubt. Good people don't get angry. Good people don't get frustrated with God. Instead, where she goes is she goes to God and she begins to reason. And I love the fact that she uses this question of how. And the reason I love it so much is that how unlocks possibilities for us. You know, when I'm in a difficult place, and I'm sure you're like me, where do I tend to go? I go to, why me? Why? And why is a shaming question usually, when somebody asks asks it of you? And when we ask it of ourselves, or when we ask it of others, we are very much playing a victim. Why me? Mary doesn't say, why me? She says, How will this be? She is really reasoning with God. And so I wonder how questions can change us the way they changed Mary. Think about some of these. I I wrote down just a few. Instead of saying, why must I struggle? The question can be, how will you change me in my struggle? Instead of saying, why have you forgotten me? A how question is, how have you noticed me? How do you love me? Instead of saying, why me? The question can be changed to, me? How? How has paths that can be run down? Why not so much? How opens up our whole life under the shadow of God. This is really important. To reason with God is, is an act of maturity in relationship with God. It is not an act of distrust or a lack of faith. So the text continues. Let's get to the next part of her pattern. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. And then the angel left her. And so this next step in the pattern, I want to say, is surrender. Now, little clue about surrender. You can never really say yes to something unless you have fully said no to it before. Right? You must say yes to something before you can ever say... You must say no to something before you can ever say yes to it. Earlier this morning, uh, so I'll just throw it out. We can blame Jorge, not Libba, but Jorge. Jorge Armenta, if you know Jorge, Jorge, you can tell him later I mentioned him. Uh, out in the coffee room before the service was to begin. Uh, his son, the middle, the middle guy, Wright, I think is his name, he was, uh, he, Jorge had him in a chair. 
and this kid is wearing like shorts, his favorite Adidas shorts and a t-shirt, uh, in the, you know, and I'm like, I can't get warm this morning, and that's all he wants to wear, and he wants to go, you know them, right, and he, and he doesn't want to wear shoes, and he is, and Jorge is, uh, you know, sizable in comparison to his small child, <laughs> and he is like, as gently as he can, uh, informing Wright that he is going to be wearing these shoes, and Wright is like, ah, I don't want to wear shoes, I don't want to wear shoes, no, 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 and he's forcing them on, and he gets his shoes on, and he you know, walks off, and he's, you know, writes, making a big deal out of it. He's saying no. He's saying no. Um, and so we walk in here together, not right. He's still out there crying. Jorge and I walk in together, and uh, Jorge says to me, you know, one day he's going to thank me, and he's going to know I was right. He'll <laughs> <laughs> be waiting a long time for that. <laughs> a long time, right? Get that, though? Jorge is saying, his son must say no before he can ever say yes. And so we should embrace the fact that we need to say no to God before we can ever say yes. Like surrender to God is only meaningful when we have really said no to him in the past. So instead of viewing our rebellion as something of shame, we can review we can actually view our rebellion as an entry point into our salvation and our saying yes to God. This is really an amazing thing about the gospel. The gospel is not in rejection about the particulars of your life. It is embracing all of your life, and it is making it all belong. What God is amazing about God is that he does not extract or exclude. It's that he takes everything for his own glory, and he weaves it all together into a larger pattern. And so, there you go. She surrenders. The text continues. At that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promises to her. And Mary responded to Elizabeth. And in the original language, this is really a song, so we sort of miss it. But she responds, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of my servant, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His strong arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from thrones. And He has lifted up the humble. And He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent away the rich empty. And he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants, just as he promised our ancestors. And so this is an incredibly part of the pattern. Once you have decided that salvation is the thing that you want and it is the way, you must remember, you must remember, you must constantly retell yourself every day, all day, what it is that God has done. 
And not just for you, because salvation is as much about what God is doing in the community as it is about us in particular. We're not saved essentially to be independent. We're saved into a community. So Mary remembers, she remembers that he had brought her ancestors out of Egypt across the Red Sea. The water parted. They walked on dry ground. Their enemies in pursuit. And not one was lost. She remembers a time in their history when God had before made a child king. There was a king, there was a king, a child named Joash, that God had made king. It wasn't insane for him to make a child a king. She remembered that God had been kind even to his enemies. To king Nebuchadnezzar was one particular enemy who lost his sanity and went mad and became like a cow eating grass. But God was mindful of Nebuchadnezzar and of his enemy, and he loved Nebuchadnezzar, and he restored him not just his throne, but to his right mind. And because, because, and it's a big because, because he had showed that kind of life and kind, loving kindness towards those people, she knew that she would get the same. Mary remembered that God exalts the humble, that God persistently pursues people who are in slavery and addiction and disease and prison and poverty and death. He does it steadfastly. And we are never closer to him, never more pursued by him than we are in one of those ways of being. The text moves on into Luke 2 to miracle. This is really an unbelievable story, right? We are saying that a virgin gave birth. This is a miracle. And so here's the story in Luke. He continues, The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I want to tell you something that very much convinces me that this miracle really took place and that miracles, that miracle is actually still taking place and you will participate in it this week. You know, this is a busy world, right? We've got stuff to do. We've got things to get done. We've got, so- we got take places to take kids, homework to do. Life is very, very busy. But this week, and if you go out today on South Boulevard, good luck to you because, you know, you're just going to die out there. It's just going to be, be so crazy. But I'm going to bet that Thursday morning, you run down South Boulevard at 8 a.m., and it will be mostly empty, right? This miracle, this insignificant baby, born 2,000 years ago, really in nowhere, Palestine, the ripples of his life go out in a way that create almost a full stop in all of the Western world. And you will go to full stop in your life when that baby comes to you. I believe this miracle, and I believe that this miracle is still impacting all of our behaviors to this day. It's really incredible. So at this point in the narrative, something happens. At this point in the narrative, there is no mention of Mary for 30 more years. And I don't think that the silence about Mary for these 30 years or about Jesus and his childhood are a mistake or an oversight. 
I believe that there are editorial intention. And I think that what that editorial intention is communicating is that salvation, the pattern of salvation, embraces ordinariness. Paula Darcy, a contemplative and, and a thinker, says that God comes disguised as our life. Salvation, thankfully, thankfully rejects our need and desire for celebrity, for exceptionalism, the idea that we have to make a big impact, be successful or own a room, our kids have to succeed, whatever it is. Salvation grows in the soil of mundane life. Of family, of work, of friends, of the sun rising and setting every day, of dirty dishes and having the difficulty of paying bills. I, I don't know that there's a better soil to grow, uh, to, to grow in salvation than to grow like I had the opportunity you know, with a mother whose sole raison d'etre in life was to raise three kids that would love her and that she loved. Like that is where salvation really takes root. Very ordinary. It's no sense uh, really saying that you cannot spot God in ordinariness because if you can't, you won't spot him at all. The holy family lived like every other family in their time. And so we can take from that that Jesus is often closest to us in our ordinary and sometimes pretty dysfunctional times. Now skip 30 years forward and you arrive to a few spots where Mary shows up, a few scenes. And when she shows up later in the Bible, it's really clear that she is under the shadow of Jesus because the narrative moves to be really about Jesus at that point, entirely. But she's still there at a wedding, at a miracle, and on a hill, which is really a dump, where there are three crosses. And Jesus, her son, is on the center one. And the gospel writer John wrote it this way. He said, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple John, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to Mary, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, John, he said, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. I said, John, John wrote this, wrote this biography. It's not perfectly clear, but it's reasonably clear that John is the disciple. This pattern of salvation does not reject the tragedies in your life. I, I can you, what do you say to Mary? Right? All the hope, the promise that he would be the son of God, the savior of the world, and there he is, naked, a scourge, a shame, a curse, dying, hanging like a common criminal. And you know he's done not one thing wrong in his entire life. What do you say? We have, in this community, people that have lost babies in the last several years. There's nothing you can say to somebody who's lost a baby. What do you say to a woman who loses a perfect son? 
God does not ignore our tragedies. Instead, what we see here is that she is there with her friends and with her family. That the power of the gospel, the power of salvation, is not to deny that or necessarily even to call that wrong, but to embrace it and weave it into the beautiful tapestry, to weave it into this pattern of what life is and what salvation is. And this is really interesting to me. The part of the, a big part of the pattern of salvation is adoption and the power to be adopted or to adopt. So we have lots of families that have adopted here, but look at this adoption. It's in reverse, right? Jesus says to John, this is your mother. Amazing. So adoption is part of this pattern. But we adopt, we graft people into our families. Sometimes we graft parents in. So the last time we see Mary is in the biographies is she's spotted after Jesus dies, right afterwards. And Luke again writes this. He says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, excuse me, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. My sense is that there's two things happening here. One is Luke wants us to know the authority that the apostles have because Mary is with them and not the opposite, right? Mary is really the person that can vouch speak for Jesus from birth, from before birth, from promise to death, even all the stories from when he was a little boy, and that she is a point of authority for them in their midst. But look at her. At the end of her life, she's a giant. She is important in the way she stands in solidarity in her community. She's been saved into a community. And so Mary matters. Mary really, really matters. Sin and suffering isolate us from ourselves and each other, but salvation in the end brings us home. Can, can you say, I'm really overshadowed by God and I'm really okay with that? I'm going to be honest with you. I think most, most of my spiritual energy in the last year has been around being overshadowed by God and not liking it one bit. Being resistant to it, trying to understand what I'm being broken up and trying to break out of ego and self-centeredness into a new horizon where I'm really flourishing under him a place that's full of promise for sure but also doubt personal risk reasoning surrendering remembering experiencing miracle ordinariness tragedy adoption and belonging it all belongs in the pattern of salvation there is no need for me or for you to exclude the experiences of our life because in salvation, God is creating a pattern and wrapping it all together 
into something beautiful, into something that will make your life more predictable. So that when you hear bum, 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 you know what comes next. Are you trying to outrun his shadow? Are you trying to make your own shadow? Do you want to be a big man? Is his shadow some kind of an insult? Something that stifles you? A curse? A weakness? Is he keeping you from expanding your own impact? Mary matters because her life convinces us that there is no salvation. There's no salvation unless you're underneath God's shadow. Let's pray. God, thank you for Mary's life and thank you for ours. Thank you that all of us in some way or some part of that pattern and I'd ask that as we go from this time into our time of singing and giving that uh, you poke us and you tell us what part of the pattern we're now living. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, so um, maybe just a, two, three people, just one word. What are you experiencing? Yep. Joy. What's that? Gratitude. Hope. Welcome. We'd love to have an opportunity to pray for you. Um, it's not really an announcement. It's the truth. Um, this is a tough time for lots of folks. If you're one of those secret sufferers, why don't you drop us an email this week? Send it to prayer at warehouse242.org and uh, we'll be happy to uh, pray for you and, and, uh, and break your isolation. Um, anything else as well is welcome. Send us uh, praise. Tell us the good things God has done. Just email us and let us know how we can... Uh, we can talk to God about your life. You can uh, do the same by dropping any prayer requests you have or any comments into the yellow boxes as you go out those doors or by stopping around over here on this mural on my right. There's a room over here and there'll be some folks after the service. It'd be absolutely terrifying probably to walk in and ask somebody in the flesh to pray for you and it may be absolutely the break that you need so don't you know, just get crazy and go on over there. It'd be awesome. Um, to learn more about what's going on at Warehouse, and there's all kinds of things, go to our website. You're going to find this green icon called a skinny, and uh, I'm going to give some details on a couple other things, but there's lots going on here at Warehouse and lots going on certainly this time of year. So uh, don't, uh, don't delay. Go to the skinny and find out how you can plug in. A couple specific announcements or things I want to make uh, you aware of is our Christmas Eve services coming up on Wednesday, which is Christmas Eve. Big surprise. Um, so we have two services, one at 5.30 and at 7.30. At 5.30, we have a full-on kids' warehouse event upstairs. So if you have kids, we really want to encourage and invite you. that That's, that's the space where you're going to probably get the most uh, bang for the buck and likely wear your kids out a little bit better there than you will in the second service. At the 7.30, we have, uh, we have some uh, child care for two and under but there is, no, there is no additional service for kids at 7.30. If you're coming to 7.30 and you have kids, go ahead and load them all in here and we'll all be fine. It'll be great. So I, I, I want to leave you with question, is questions as much as I want to leave you with answers because I think questions do more work than answers. Um, we, you, you, we are all, you are under 
God's shadow. I mean, it is. You can deny it. You can run from it. You can embrace it. But it is, you are under his shadow. And the question I want to leave you with as you walk out is, how will I experience his shadow this Christmas week? Go in Christ's peace. Amen.